Hello everyone, you're listening to America Meditating Radio. We collect wisdom, inspire each other, and empower hearts on demand 24-7. I'm Sister Jenna, host of the syndicated America Meditating Radio. Join us as we talk one-on-one with leading experts who answer life's most compelling questions. Because in a world of uncertainty, we need answers right here, right now. America Meditating Radio, a show for everyone to learn more about this amazing thing called life. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another segment of The Next Normal in collaboration with America Meditating Radio. I'm your host, Sister Jenna. You know, we have been navigating through these particular times in a very unique way. India just came out of a massive, massive uprising of death that has been unlimited. There was once, I remember the founder of the Brahma Kumaris, Brahma Baba, was said, there'll be a day where it's like the world becomes like a graveyard. Mm-hmm. And I was fascinated to actually witness watching the cremation grounds in India and in so many places in Syria after there's a war, when the tsunamis happened in Sri Lanka, in Phuket, in Thailand, that we start to get a feeling that if we get to see so many images of death, do we become immune to it? Back in the day when we didn't kind of feel death the way that we have been feeling, it used to feel like a very creepy affair. You know, it's like even when I used to go to funerals to do prayers or to see a soul off as they're departing, I always had this feeling like, I know I'm talking to the soul. I know the soul is around. And I'm like, oh, please don't disturb my spirit. I'm just here to give you peace, you know, to navigate you towards God's light and let me finish my role and my responsibility. But needless to say, sometimes I could just feel their thoughts a friend of ours, Kanupriya from The Awakening with Brahma Kumaris, just recently passed away from COVID in India. Mm-hmm. And we're doing her Zoom funeral. And mm-hmm. while I'm doing the funeral with the whole family, hundreds of people on the Zoom, I just texted a few of my friends, Sister Shivani, Brother Abhijit, and these people who knew her very well. I says, do you feel Kanu's like dancing? Is it just me? Or is she really just celebrating being out of her body? And everyone texted back and said, absolutely, they were feeling the same. So there is a need for us to learn more about this energy of light, this energy called the soul. And I think there's a need for us to understand the parameters of these two dimensions, flesh and light, soul and body, matter and just spiritual energy. And what better of a place to learn that than on the next normal? and with America Meditating Radio. Our special guest today has an extremely unique story. And to give her introduction, let me read it clearly from the paper. Margot Landmark has journeyed far from her Midwestern roots to live a fulfilling life in service of others. She has taught meditation and stress management in major corporations, as well as in other countries. But before alternative medicine was in vogue, she started and managed an Ayurveda health center in Palm Beach, Florida, while growing up in a Midwestern funeral home where her dad was an undertaker, Margot not only learned about death, but she also received clear messages from deceased loved ones about how to live life. 
these messages changed how she lived her own life. She joins us to share her fascinating experiences and insights in her book, Light in the Morning, Memoirs of an Undertaker's Daughter. The book has received glowing reviews from a number of prominent authors and spiritual leaders, including our friends Deepak Chopra and Marcy Chimoff. Welcome, Margot. Thank you for joining us today. What an interesting life you've lived. Thank you, Sister Jenna. I'm really happy to be here. I really lived an interesting life. And you know, your life just leads you to revelations and who you become, you know. So I'm grateful for every experience that I had. My mother was orphaned at seven. And when she was finally adopted, they were about maybe 13 years old. And the adopted parents were masters of a school. But behind the school was a cemetery. And so my mother used to share with me how they used to walk past or through the cemetery. And I'll have to tell you, and this is just my mother's story, she has a fascination with this whole energy of death. Either she feels she's always dying, or she could just always see things. And I feel that we are living in such a gross consciousness, and I mean that word, gross, means Yes, we only live from what our five senses sees, and we don't give enough credit or enough energy to the sixth sense, which is the energy of the spirit, the soul. Could you tell us a little bit about your interpretation of soul and what you've come to learn about it? I think what you said is absolutely true. We really need to develop, or I think we haven't developed. I think we just need to appreciate and recognize this sixth sense because. That's where life really happens. You know, this gross that you talk about, it's just a reflection of what's inside. And so we do have this soul inside who lives on. When my brother died, I needed something. I needed answers. I needed inspiration. I needed something. (laughs) And I needed a deeper sense of life because I needed to understand life and death. And I think once we start appreciating that sixth sense that you're talking about, we will realize that we don't die, that life continues. And I think we will all be more at peace. We will all be bigger people. Our souls will be more developed. We'll have a much better life if we can grow that sixth sense that you're talking about. Because the soul lives within us and it lives on. The body is gross and it falls off, but the soul moves on. Not to bring you back in your past and wallow in maybe a moment that was very tragic for you, but would it be okay for you to share with us how your brother died? Yes, for sure. It was very sudden. My brother was just full of life. He was the guy who was never going to die. (laughs) And he had a heart attack suddenly. So it was very, very shocking. And, you know, they talk in life about twin souls and soulmates and soul groups and things like that. Well, my brother was probably my twin soul. He and I were like the same person. I had experienced many deaths in my life, but when he died, part of me died too. And that's why I needed answers. And that's why I went so deep with this. 20 years before that, my father died. And when I told my friends the story of my father, they said, you have to write that book. I thought, I'm not going to write a book. You just asked and I told you. Then 20 years later, when my brother died, I had to go deep within and find answers. And I thought, whatever comes out of this 
will be my living memorial to my brother. And that's where the book came from. You know, isn't that interesting, Margot, because you've been raised around death, so to speak. But mm-hmm. when it's so close to you, it creates a uh, different narrative in your head, doesn't it? Yes, completely different narrative. I've been fortunate to recognize the sixth sense that you're talking about, because when people who are close to me have died, my father, my mother, my brother, and some other close friends, they have come back in different ways with very clear messages about what's important about life. And isn't that just what we want? is for people to come back and tell us what's important, what's meaningful in life. You know, one of our teachings in Raj Yoga Meditation is the practice of being loving and detached for the sole purpose of what you've just said. You've been around death your whole life. Maybe you've been to a thousand funerals. You've seen your dad get dressed Mm -hmm. to preside Mm -hmm. over thousands of funerals. And yet, somebody who was your soulmate so close, there's so many stories between both of you, Mm -hmm. And the experience of the death with that soul turned everything around for you. And again, it proves to me when I hear stories like what you've just told me, the importance of practicing how to love so deeply that Mm -hmm. you become detached. Mm -hmm. And in some way, you can deal with everything with a sense of equality and neutrality so that you don't go through all of these emotions. And even though sometimes we think, well, if I don't go through the seesaw of emotions, am I living course you're living, but because Mm -hmm. we haven't felt being in this full-fledged spiritual state of neutrality, we don't really know the other way of living. And I think that when I look at what life is about, it is about being full of love and power and purity and sharing that with everyone along the way. Now, in the book, It is sharing about how individuals or souls have come back to basically give us some insights on how we should live. Would you mind, Margot, please sharing with us what are some of the insights that really held you when you heard some of the messages coming back from Mm -hmm. souls who have been departed? Right. I can tell you every one of them changed how I live because when you get a cognitive experience like that, it changes you. So I'll give you an example. My mother's message was about resolving everything in life. It was such an important message because we had a very rocky relationship, very deep and loving, but also very rocky. And when I learned the lesson from her about resolving everything in life, I learned it from her right before she died because I didn't know she was going to die. But the last time I saw her, she resolved everything with me. She said, Margot, I'm so sorry I did this. And I would cry and we'd laugh about it. And she said, and this time I know I really hurt you. And we'd go through that and we'd cry and then we'd start laughing. And we laughed and cried for about an hour over all of the pain she created in me throughout my whole life. And then I said goodbye to her. We were going to have a family reunion in a week. I never saw her again. So when I got the message that she died, I cried so hard, obviously. But after I cried, I never cried again, not because I wasn't sad, but because everything was resolved. And I learned from her. She gave me that really important message that most of the pain in death is lack of resolve. So ever since then, it's that feeling of, oh, my God, I wish I would have told her this. I wish I would have said I love you. I wish I would have done this for her. You can't go back and do that when they're gone. So ever since then, every single relationship 
I resolve it. Every one. If there's some misunderstanding out there, I'll go to somebody's house at 1030 at night and knock on their door and say, you know what? I think you misunderstood me. Let's talk about this. I don't have anything unresolved with people. And what a lesson. That was huge. And that happened when I was in my early 20s. So I've had a very clean life in terms of resolve because of that. That's one lesson. And it's more important than we know. It was about maybe four months ago. I don't have a lot of relationships that I would say internally makes me feel like I haven't tried hard enough in this relationship. I really don't have many of those. Mm-hmm. And I could be under some delusion. I have no idea. Mm-hmm. But the point is, there, I was believe- one, there was one relationship and I just reached out to her and I said, How honestly, I really don't know what I did or where we went wrong, but I'm really committed in fixing this relationship and seeing how best we can work through this. And their response was so healing as well, because they responded and said, I have love, I do care for you. It's just I'm used to doing things in a specific way. And it's not necessarily the way that you do it. And that had brought such a healing between both of us. So there's such now of an opening. So I do feel that when we leave our bodies, with the consciousness of an unresolved emotional issue in a relationship mm-hmm. that carries over in the next birth, which we spill out on other people and perhaps never really know what's going on between us and another person. So it's good to just clear the air with people. But sometimes we need time, though, Margot. Sometimes we do need time. You know, when that time comes, take that time because the worst pain of death is regret. And we don't want that regret. What was it like as a child growing up in the Midwest? Your dad's an undertaker. Did the kids used to tease you a lot? (laughs) They didn't. I mean, they'd always make jokes. You know, there's always the funeral home jokes and things like that. And but it was so natural. And, you know, all my friends would come to the funeral home to get a ride home from school. And so they all got kind of used to it. They were a little bit creeped out, but we weren't. We were very comfortable with it all, you know. It's always interesting, the stigma, you know, you're driving on the highway and you see a funeral car and you're like, wow, at least for me. And for some reason, you think about the family, you think about the people, and then you think about your own life. And then, you know, it takes you somewhere. What is it that we're supposed to actually learn from death that we didn't learn when we were alive in our bodies? We are supposed to know, first of all, that it's part of life. It's an equal part of life. And that is a beautiful transition. I think it's time to become comfortable with the idea of death. At least in this country, we're pretty much in denial. We don't talk about it. It's kind of taboo. And one of the reasons I wanted to write the book was to take the taboo out of death. You know, we should celebrate at death because that soul has graduated in a sense. If we didn't have lessons to learn on this planet, we wouldn't be here. And we all have to leave at one point and we all go to a higher place. And we need to celebrate that. So I think it's time to embrace that about death. There's something that you've said that a person's face in death mirrors their living Mm -hmm. in their dying. Can you explain? Yes. I'll explain it from the experience of my father. My father was a very spiritual man. He was a beautiful undertaker because of that. People wanted to talk to him when they're friends or family died because he had so much compassion. He was really a very high being. 
And when he died, which again was a surprise, when I looked at his face in death, I saw his entire life, which was of challenges. He had a lot of challenges, but I saw how he dealt with all those challenges. He was so open-hearted and compassionate and never judgmental. He was really a very high being. And I saw all of those challenges and the decisions he made in dealing with those challenges. I saw all that in his face in death. And he had the most beautific smile on his face that I have ever seen. And I saw his whole soul leave through the top of his head. And I just saw all of the glory of that moment of death. And so I saw that all of the choices he made at every given moment in his life added up to that moment of his transition. And it was beautiful. That experience changed me too. Beautiful story. Beautiful. Yeah. I learned from that at every given moment in our life, we have a choice to love open-heartedly or not. And when we get to the end of our life, it's all going to add up to the choices we made at every given moment. Pandemic that the world experienced recently has taken the souls from their parts, their bodies that they've been playing for whatever amount of years they've been playing it. It takes millions of souls. Yep. And everyone's grappling with the grieving process. And each person has perhaps their own way that they will handle grief. Mm-hmm. Any tips that you could share? with our viewers or listeners, just a few tips and what's the best way to deal with a sense of the loss of someone that you love so deeply? Mm -hmm. One thing is really grieve, feel the pain of it, because we have the physical reality and we have the spiritual reality. The spiritual reality is that soul is fine, but our physical reality, we're not fine at the moment. And so we need to go through that grief and feel it remember the people, you know, incorporate them in our heart. And then once we get them kind of incorporated in our heart and re-situated only in our heart, then they will live forever in us. And when that starts to happen, the grief starts to lessen. And I had a wise man once tell me that it's important to grieve because it allows the soul to know they were deeply loved. But it's equally important that the grieving at some point should subside so that the soul knows they were not a drag. So that's why grieving is really important. And if you grieve properly, it will subside eventually. And then you will just feel the pain that you feel and the grief, that hole that it creates in the heart, that pain will turn to joy. And it's a joy that you can't get any other way. And it is such a deep divine joy because that's our connection to the divine is the memory of these people that we love so deeply you know my spiritual path and i'm still processing the experience of it all that we've lost a lot of my spiritual mentors the daddy janky at 104 daddy gulza just this year at 96 i believe and just a lot of my very close mentors have transitioned into new roles He'll come back to play. And, you know, in a way, we've been trained, and I'm sort of feeling this for myself. I can't say I'm 100% yet, but I feel like it is my celebration of all the incredible moments we've had that, as a vibrational frequency, when the soul connects to my soul or when my soul connects to that soul, 
in my celebration and my respect and honoring and love of the role the soul has played in my life, it gives them wings to fly in their next journey. And I don't stay in that sorrowful state, which I feel tends to be so heavy. Have you Mm -hmm. ever been like in developing countries, especially where if you don't weep and wail for loved ones, then they'll say you never love them. And when I see that, I don't believe that. I believe that if I really love you, don't I have to rise to the occasion to energetically be at a level of thought process that I can protect you on your journey? Because there's so many other spirits out there. But that I could also keep bringing God's light around you as you travel to your next womb or to your next destination. And so I've often kind of looked at that. And I won't say I'm telling you as a confirmation, but I'll tell you that from what I've been witnessing over time, Margo, it's that let me keep my vibrations high so I can help the ones that I have loved that have transitioned to really protecting them with that pure vibration around their spirits. Am I making any sense to you? You're making absolute sense to me. Yes. I think that's the whole goal. I think the point of love is to love in that very, the highest way possible. And that's the point, you know, of any kind of meditation or any kind of inner growth. And that's why we're here is just to develop that inner high vibration so that we can support other souls, whether they're in the body or whether they're not in the body anymore. That's why we are here. So I really applaud you for that because it's beautiful to do that. Well, let's talk about miracles because in the book, you shared about a miracle that happened. And I'd love if you could tell us a little bit about that. Yes, that was really amazing because we were having a celebration for one of my friends. And I was told by a very wise person that you should have the memorial service 10 days after the person dies because their body is more processed and their soul will be more present. So we did that. We had a memorial service right away, but then we had another celebration on the 10th day. So we had dinner at my friend's house. And at the dinner, there was a table of 12. And then there was a table of five in the kitchen. And when I walked in, we could feel Tom there. It was palpable. It was really beautiful. He was definitely there. So at the dinner, we're telling stories of Tom all night. It's a very beautiful experience. It's fun and it's funny and it's lively. And then the host of the event came up with a pie. You know, it was a six-piece, a small pie. And she said, Deborah brought dessert. And we all looked at the pie. And we went, she brought it into the table of 12. And she put down 18 plates. In the table of 12, we all looked at each other and we said, we're not having pie. I'm not having pie. The pie's going into the kitchen, right? And so what happened is my friend Deborah and I were sitting there cutting the pie and And then we kept telling stories, talking to each other, cutting pie, putting on the plates. And all of a sudden, somebody in the kitchen says, we got pie. And I looked around and everybody at our table had pie. And we're like, what? And Deborah and I looked down. There was one piece of pie left. It was this big. We could cut it in half. And she had pie and I had pie. And we both went to each other at the same time, loaves and fishes. We couldn't believe it. 18 people got pie. So that day, right then, people started saying, hey, Margo, tell that one story of Tom. And I started telling the story. And then I just put my hands on my face and I started laughing. I said, wait a minute. Do you realize we all got pie? I mean, does anybody get this? <laughs> and the people around me certainly did. And a friend came into the kitchen and went, wow, it's a miracle pie. 
And that night I called Deborah and I was laughing so hard. I said, how did we all get pie? Did we clear out the pie plate and then it all grew back? Did every piece get served and then it grew back? How did we get pie? We were just laughing so hard because we couldn't figure out this miracle. So I realized that miracles are happening all the time. The other part of the story is I could see Tom right up here to the left and up. And he was taking this white stuff. It was kind of like a little bit heavier than clouds. And he was throwing it up in the air and throwing it up in the air. And he was telling me that there's plenty for everybody. And it was just incredible to get that along with the miracle pie. And I have never forgotten it because I kind of never really worried ever since I know there's going to be enough. I just know it. I mean, I keep working hard and I'm not just taking that for granted, but deep in my soul, I know that there's enough for all of us because of that miracle that happened. That's your next book, The Miracle Pie. Okay. I'll write another one. <laughs> That's your next book. That's such a great story. I've heard of mystical things like that where it's beyond the power or the creation of your five senses. It is mm -hmm. the soul showing you how much more profoundly powerful it can function if you stop being so attached to your body, your matter. And exactly. I think perhaps the age that we're in now, which we were not in a hundred years ago, we were definitely not in a thousand years ago, mm -hmm. but this age that we're in, the fascination to understand who we are, yep. to really know who we really are so we can live that knowing is yes. upon us at this time. And I think it's really, really important. So as mm -hmm. we come to a close, I really enjoyed our conversation, surprisingly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> surprisingly, <laughs> I really enjoyed our time together. You wrote a chapter about losing your pup, your dog, yes. your pet. Yes. And it's funny because yesterday I was looking, we have a little puppy called Happy. And I was looking oh. at Happy with the family and I said, you know, what? what's it going to be like when Happy leaves us and she dies? And I don't know why I said it, but you wrote a chapter. It was a difficult one, but your chapter also gave hope mm -hmm. about the loss of a pet. Could you share with us? Yes. I really learned from my dog the purpose of pets. And the one big purpose is to show us true unconditional love. Because no matter what, human beings are conditional. I really believe that, you know. I think the closest we get to unconditional love is probably a mother's love. But dogs are absolutely unconditional. And they have this way of showing us love in a way that changes us. I see so many people change when they get a dog. And when that dog leaves, they live on too. You know, I got very clear messages of the passing of my dog and what she went through and how she went into the light and her experience of doing that. And it's all very well laid out in the book. And everybody was telling me I should put my dog down. I didn't want to put my dog down. And she could hear these conversations. And so right at the point where she had this really bad experience and my compassion should have led me to put her down, she knew I couldn't handle putting her down. And she died very quickly. And she will explain it in the book. I mean, it gets explained in the book how she made a decision to go so that I wouldn't have to put her down. So our relationship with our animals are really unspoken, but really deep. And their soul lives on too. And 
And I believe very strongly that they stay with us after they go because I can feel her. You know, I can still feel her. And I just have another dog die and I can feel her. So, yeah, it gives us hope that our animals are really there for us unconditionally. And it teaches us unconditional love, which, again, is another purpose to be here, I believe. Yes, yes. I have to tell you, I don't know if she's here. I would love to bring her and show you. But I will tell you, sometimes I will just look into Happy's eyes and she will be looking at me as if she's telling me, don't think that, don't do that. You know, I think that the purity of the soul of an animal has the capacity to impact the purity that you no longer activate. And then when you are kind of in connection with them, they're there to remind you of your spirit of innocence, your spirit of purity your spirit of love, and however amount of times you have that engagement that brings that memory back to you, it is definitely a gift. Margot, it's been a delight having you on air. I'm just so touched by our conversation. (laughs) And could you leave us with perhaps a website or any kind of closing remarks about whatever this meant for you and how our viewers or listeners can get in touch with you if they have some questions that they'd like to address. Yes, they can call me. A lot of people have found me online and called me, but you can get the book on Amazon, Light in the Morning, Memoirs of an Undertaker's Daughter. You can email me at margolenmark1 at gmail.com. You can go to my website, which is lightinthemorning.com. And I am happy to talk to people or email them or talk to their group or whatever, because I have met the most wonderful people through writing this book like you. It is so wonderful to meet you. I'm very, very touched at your purity and the beauty of your soul. And I get to meet people like you. So I'm really happy if people contact me. Pleasure. Margot Landmark, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much. Really nice thank to you. meet you. Mm. Everyone, what a wonderful conversation. I have to tell you, I was pretty surprised at our discussion. We are interested about, we're curious about what is the soul after it leaves the body? I mean, in my teachings, I'm pretty much convinced that I live on. I don't believe I die. My issue isn't about dying anymore. My issue is about what will be my inheritance in my future birth. And so what are the choices that I'm making in this present birth that will give me the inheritance of a much more beautiful life than even the one that I'm living now? And I wonder if that's one of the mysteries that will be unraveled or resolved pretty soon, that we recognize the way that we're living now will determine the way we will live in a future incarnation. I will leave that for you to contemplate on, because if you think you only have one life, well, I'm not sure. It doesn't make sense why there's so much suffering in the world. It's not fair that, you know, you'd be sent down in one life just to completely suffer. Suffering or a sense of grief or something must come from an experience of the past as an energy. As a soul, we all carry experiences, emotions, stories, and I believe that those vibrations create our reality. And if, by chance, we can develop a very pure and deep relationship with God, I believe God is a neutralizer. And somehow the energy that we receive from God, from above, will begin to neutralize the unresolved emotions that we're just not able to deal with at a human-to-human level. So, 
Is death an important thing? I don't think so. I think life is the most important thing. And if we can begin to bring the best of who we are in it, then death is just like changing clothes. Thank you for joining us on The Next Normal in collaboration with America Meditating Radio. Don't forget to follow us on our YouTube. Share this with your friends. Let them know that, wow, this was a good one. And please keep your mind healthy and wise. And remember, no one has the power to take away your happiness unless you give them permission. And I'm suspecting that we're actually here on earth to practice loving each other the same so that there'll be no attachment, which means no comparison, no criticism, no competition. <laughs> take care. See you again real soon. Om Shanti. Hi, Sister Jenna. You've been listening to America Meditating Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Did you enjoy that conversation? Because you can also listen to it on Spotify or on iTunes, 24-7, anytime, anywhere. I do trust we all have inner power to become our very best. When we listen with curiosity to learn more, we grow. So thanks so much for tuning in, and do be easy on yourself. Take care.